This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Story of Your Life, a uh, what's it, novella, no- novelette by Ted Chiang. Uh, first published in 1998, which makes this a really old story. I didn't realize how old it was. Hmm. And uh, I guess we'll talk about the movie as well. Um, the adaptation called Arrival from 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll tell you my first reaction to this. I was about three quarters of the way through the story, the two-hour uh, audiobook, and I'm like, damn it, Ted Chiang's lost it. <laughs> He just lost. He <laughs> was so good. He was so good, this Ted Chiang. And just as I'm thinking that, I'm saying, wait a second. This is starting to sound. Hey, what? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, he the gotcha. last quarter. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm getting this. Cause uh-huh. it was so, oh, my baby. And you're going to do this. And you're going to, uh, and I'm like, no, no, no. It's, I see exactly <laughs> what you've done, Ted. You've pulled it off again. And <laughs> the thing is, is I don't like most writers, right? I think they're terrible. Um, it's only by looking back over the vast sweep of history that I find anybody worth reading, basically. Um, and yet, um, there is one or two, well, there are, are one or two living persons who are capable of putting out um, good content, uh, like consistently, over uh, the, the space of my life, and one of them is Ted Chiang. I, I don't really hold with modern writers very much, but Ted mm. Chiang, I, I thought, oh, he's lost it, and no, he, ha- I, I didn't even realize that it was from you know 20 years ago either. So, um, he, he, no, I didn't he realize never, it was that old either. It, yeah, not quite, but it's 19 years ago or something, right? So, um, given that. Given that he he still had it then, I think he still got it now. But I've been sort of savoring his stories rather than you know ripping through them because because they are so good and they last they last a long time within you. And there aren't that many of them. Ted, no, no. Ted Chiang writes very slowly, and I mean, I like oh, here's a couple years ago. I oh, here's another Ted Chiang story. Yep. I'm not quite sure what he actually does in his day job. It can't be this because he could not possibly make a make a living at it because he just doesn't yeah. write enough. Well, it's, oh, he's a te- he's a, he's a technical writer in yeah, software. Yeah. Okay, I, I just I just found that out. Okay. Right. And the picture of him uh, from 2011 on the Wikipedia entry um, it makes him look very young. Um, he's got gray hair now, so. Yeah, feeling really better because he's older than me, and he's looking—he's looking nice and young. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it, he's smart. He's—he's he's wise because he doesn't fall into the trap that most people do, which is let's sell out right away and and write as much as possible and, mm. and hang out. He's actually get, all ages, Jesse. I, uh, all I, ages at once. I think you're—I think he's. Not lying about stuff like this. I, there is a kind of wisdom in looking at the the broad effect. And um, I also noticed 
in reading this and thinking about his other stories, his themes are always the same as well. So have, have you guys read any other stories by him? I no, listened to the entire collection. Wow. Yeah. This podcast. This. Because, wow. Well, because, yeah, me too. Well, because I, because I bought the, I bought the, uh, the entire uh, audio book. Like, I might as well listen to the entire thing while listening to stories of your life. So yeah, hmm. I, mm-hmm. I devoured the lot. Well, that's um, probably too much chocolate. It, it, it was a very rich week of listening to Ted Chiang. I mean, Tower of Babylon is very good. Liking what you see a documentary is like a gut punch. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he he doesn't uh, he, he doesn't hold back in his stories. I mean, there aren't no. many of them, but you're right; they're pretty uh, but pretty also, chocolatey. Even though they have this like similar themes. They're quite different in style yeah, and tone, so that collection is kind of readable and and a chunk. I guess um, I, I do. I, I don't think I could do that just because they're. I spend so much time thinking about uh, in in re-listening to it. I thought I'm not going to re-listen to this, and then I thought no, I probably should. So I started re-listening mm-hmm. to it. And I'm like, fuck, it's right there from the very every sentence, mm-hmm. right? It's not like um, it's not like he took two hours because, you know, he wants to make it longer so it'll sell for more money or whatever. Mm. It's the opposite. It's like, and and that's kind of what I was going to say when I read it the first time and I was at the three-quarter mark. I'm thinking, well, you know, in, uh, when I talk about this on the podcast, this is what I'm going to be saying. Stuff like, right? And then that, that transformation started happening. Where it's all f- falling into place, probably like sort of the scenes in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how she says it. She says it falls in giant. I don't remember how it was, but in in dry, giant swaths falling into place, not in any particular order. Right, blocks or something, right? Blocks, yeah. yeah. And then uh, there's a nice line in there about how um, uh, remembering memories of ash or something like that, and then. Uh, the memories of memories are uh, blocks of ash going backwards and forwards, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, nice. so pretty. Yeah, very and and perfectly encapsulating how memory works too, right? We think, well, we know what happened yesterday and the day before, but uh, no, we don't. <laughs> we have yeah. vague ideas and certain things stand out, but uh, no, we don't, not at all. Really mm-hmm. bad, actually. In fact, we're we're. And you know that every, you know that every time you pull out a memory and and remember it, right. you change it. Exactly. You change it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not for haptopods. No, it's um it's interesting. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if they could have done the movie any better. I think they did pretty damn good with it. I uh, I'm not super enthused about the movie just because. It sort of takes takes what is essentially a really thoughtful science fiction story and does what Hollywood does with stuff, which is just make mm-hmm. it, you know, more graspable to the mainstream audience. Like the whole subplot about, you know, the rogue Chinese general or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I guess they need to have that in there. And when she goes into the room with the... With the hectopods or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and the hair's all flowing weirdly, 
I was like, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I see you need to do that to get to the yeah. point that you're making, right? That was fun. The The rogue soldier thing was, I think that's the experience I had that was the opposite of the book where I was watching the movie like, oh my God, they're doing it. They're doing it. They, this is all working. Uh-huh. And then as soon as that stuff started happening in like the three quarter mark or something, it just, yeah. it just took, you're just like, oh God, Hollywood, what are you doing? Did, had all of you read the book Prior to seeing yeah, the movie, I, heard I, I know. Yeah, I did it the other way too. Oh, movie first. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so what is probably not like? wise. What, what do you think? Would you recommend against that? No. Uh, well, I'd read a lot of reviews that said this was one of the ones that they. A lot of people were sort of saying, "Yeah, you, you can actually do the movie first on this one, and maybe even recommended, so that you can experience the movie in a certain way, huh. like like not know where the movie's going." Mm-hmm. And, so that and, was and really fun. It was, it was. I agree, it was fun. But having after having read the book, like I thought the movie was great when I saw it, and I still do. I still like it a lot. But the book is so much better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I I think reading reading the book first lets you, uh, in, in a sense, takes away the wham of the movie as far as. So yeah. let me ask you this: since you since you both since you both. Mysa and Marissa watched the movie first and had not read the story. When did you figure out that the visions she's having were the future, not the past? Well, I didn't figure it out until they made it obvious. Like it was literally, I can't remember the moment in the movie now, but the, 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 uh, the, 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 the child's little uh, clay figure of the heptapod. That's no, because I, I think that's no, I thought that was. To- I thought that was supposed to be when you're supposed to in the movie. It's like, okay, this is what they're doing. This is the clue in the audience. Yes, this is the future. Yeah, maybe. I didn't get it there. I thought that she was just delusional and seeing crazy stuff and having some kind of breakdown or slip into another reality or something. Ah. Um, I really didn't get it until really late. And that, and then I ended up re-watching the movie to, to watch all the pieces building up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't remember when it happened either. I, I did realize it was – Flashbacks, or I thought it was flashbacks for the longest time. Yeah, right. that's. Yeah, I think it's. it's it, yeah. yeah, I think you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't. I can't remember when I when I realized. Oh, that's her husband. Oh, that's her. Like I, it took a long time. Sitting in the which empty I think house, is sort of right? good in a movie. Yeah. Huh? yeah. I was just gonna say, like the. Like I think that. they're they're yeah. setting it up so you're supposed to think that with her yeah. her house being so empty, right at the beginning. Right. Of the movie. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, and she looks sad. She looks like a bereaved mother. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they did it really well. I think that's why a lot of the reviews do well suggest not reading the story so that you can kind of have that experience. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I did it wrong. No, yeah. No. yeah, but I had read the story years ago, so when I saw first saw the movie, I saw it in theaters, and then I just rewatched it this week. It was more a case of okay, how are they going? I know what's going to happen. I got the po- I had the general outline. How are they going to actually make this work? And that was what, because in the story it comes up right up front, mm-hmm. whereas in the movie it's a reveal, which is yeah, yeah. Because in the story, the the tense that she's using, I remembered, and she's using past and future tense at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can't, you couldn't do that in the movie. No, or maybe they could have, but they didn't. They did, uh, but uh, what they did do well in the movie is, I mean, that's, it's kind of in the story. A story. The story is using movie techniques in a certain sense, or at least a technique that works better in movies. It, it, that's kind of why I was so down on the story at first, I, or at least the th- first 
three quarters is because it was oh it's so like yeah you have to tell it this way can't have a straight neck <laughs> and that the movies do that all the time with the with the you know jumping around in time and and it it's sort of more acceptable in a certain way i think it's mm-hmm. it's less literary and more um uh well you know movies are all all about show so all the uh, it's so funny going back and listening to it after the uh after the movie because all of the things that are so movieish about it are not in the story right they the the giant towering spaceship blocks mm-hmm. yeah. are yeah. you know I, I'm picturing about 12 feet tall in, in the story. Um, and the, there's a camp, uh, you know, an army camp, but it's around the object instead of, you know, kilometers away. And everything, about, you know, the scale is just so much and the stakes are so much lower. Um, and yet, uh, I don't know. It's, it's funny because it still doesn't blow me away as the most as the best head shying story in the book who who here read the whole book was it paul yeah and yeah Marissa? me too wow mm-hmm. and micey you didn't read the whole thing right <laughs> no i will but i did not yeah no you shouldn't read them all at once i don't think but uh did you find yourself like uh thinking more about the other stories because I, I i really really like this story it's just it it doesn't i don't know maybe maybe the stakes are lower yeah, I think um I think Understand was the one that really yeah, that's a, stayed with me. It's a power. Yeah. We, we I really should tell, we tell listeners briefly which one the, what's that about. That's basically the that's basically Tetsuyang decides to do flowers for Algernon. Mhm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He does it really well too like to give you the idea of how a sort of meta human supermind would be thinking. It's really believable. Mhm. So I really enjoyed that. And what's the one about the gods? I can't remember the name of it right now. Hmm. Which what, what, what about uh, God with or the, about with the angels coming to Earth? Oh, that's hell was the absence of God. Yeah, that one. I th- oh I oh that say, one hurts. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that one sort of in a um, in a humor way. Like I just thought it was so funny. It kind of reminded me of almost like I said Tom Robbins style writing. This kind of. Hmm. Yeah, but the Just ending, in- though, the ending of that story oh, I thought it was is- hilarious. <laughs> I, no, so I felt dark. so bad for the protagonist. Like, oh <laughs> crap! Yeah, that's the way. That's the way. The, that's the logical extension of what he set up at the beginning, and that's the way it's going to be. And it's, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think you're right, Jesse. In some ways, yeah, th- this is too much dark chocolate at one time, oh, yeah. and it can, it can <laughs> be, uh, can be, uh overwhelming yeah sorry do you guys have a favorite from the collection Hmm. well i i I haven't read like i haven't read the whole collection well i've read uh understand and um i think i read tower of babel but it's a long or babylon but it's a long time ago um what about 72 letters and i think 72 letters but again a long time ago the one that stands out uh, on the list here is is uh, seventy uh, is understand, mm-hmm. um, but he's also got other stuff too. This is in his only. These, this is like his first eight or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this doesn't have uh, Merchant and the Alchemist Escape, which, which is, is a time a terrific, travel story, right? A terrific, uh, ironically. Um, 
It doesn't have lifecycle software objects. Yeah. There's a few others, oh. I think. Yeah. Does he ever write novel length? No. 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 That's why he's, he's, he's like different from other folks, right? Is he isn't, he isn't trying to, trying to make a living as a writer. And he's, he's just trying to write good and write I, interesting. I am certain that any, any of the big science fiction publishers would pay him lots of money to write a novel. They, they would throw it at him because, <laughs> but he, he I, 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 but he's, he's too such wise. A, he, I mean, I mean, his stories are like bonsai trees. I mean, he cultivates them slowly, yeah. carefully over a mm-hmm. long time. These small, beautiful, miniature pieces of science fiction. Mm-hmm. This one, like, I, I, I listened to it twice, and the sec, and the second time, like, all of these details that just were just so beautifully put mm-hmm. together. He hit me like the first time you, I just spent so much time trying to figure out what was going on, even though I had seen the movie. Like, the language is heavy and complicated. But then the second time I could just sit back and and like watch and watch. She has she has her first dream about her daughter's death before she the night that she sleeps with Ian. The mm-hmm. first time mm-hmm. she wakes mm-hmm. up and, and that's and like it's just so beautiful. Yep. Like where he puts everything, like like, like you like you were saying, like a bonsai tree, like everything is in just the right spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how did you feel the change in the movie between uh, having it be a rare and curable disease rather than her dying in mountain climbing? Yeah, mm. it seems I didn't very think Hollywood. That was necessary. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Very Hollywood. Yeah, I was actually way more affected by the idea that she died in a climbing accident for some yeah. reason. Like yeah. that, after seeing the movie and then reading the story, that just seemed so much more tragic and shocking. Mm-hmm. And but um, also more mysterious because, see, yeah, what would happen is if I can see it in this, they're in the writing room, right? And they're talking. Not this was actually written by one guy, the the screenplay, but I can see it, right? This fake image of. The writers sitting around and say, "Well, let's uh, let's just do the novel right? or this or the story, right?" And I guess no. First of all, the lady has to be uh, a lot younger than she is in the book because 25 years old would mean the mom is 45, and we can't sell that. No, we're gonna <laughs> well, we're gonna give a 45 year old woman a movie? No, no, no. We we, well, have, not we don't have any 45 year old beauties. Right or whatever. Not only can they not sell it, I think a bigger reason is that if the daughter was 25, how would they film that? Because she, her age difference would be so the mother's age Indeed. difference would be so huge, it would give it all away. But even right at the start of the even movie. worse is they're sitting in that writer's room and it says, okay, and how's she gonna die, right? And even if the daughter's still like 10 years old or 12 years old, right? And they say incurable disease. Oh, well, then nothing the mom could say or do could save the daughter. That's great. But Mm -hmm. if it's a mountain climbing accident, a climbing accident, can't you say just stop climbing? Right. And of course, that defeats the whole purpose. And so they're thinking about what the audience is thinking. And if they walk out of the, if they walk out of the movie theater saying, well, this is a stupid movie because that kid can't, uh, the kid could have been saved if the mom had just paid attention like i could almost see outrage coming out of the movie theater people mm-hmm. angry mm-hmm. but yeah. if it's incurable disease everybody sort of yeah they're, they're cool with that now of course and she does you- seem to have more choice in the movie like in the whole in the short story not only it's like um 
she can't really change anything, it seems. She seems completely exactly. trapped into and her future, whereas it, in this movie, she seems to have more agency to change things. Well, that's the, that's the other thing that's so funny about the about the movie is that they turn there's an action sequence right where the character does something that saves the world right she she has this idea to get the phone and make she has that experience of talking to the 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 floating hair sequence right where she goes and gets the phone and she makes the phone call and has the party with the Chinese ambassador who this uh, doesn't actually work very well as a memory, does it? Because she's so Mm-mm. in the memory, she's sort of like, huh, what are you talking about? I did what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand that. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that made the story, the movie really difficult to understand. Uh, it, it, where it's, it's not a, in, the, in the book. It, it, it's timey-wimey because she's – She's not remembering in that future what she had done in the past because yeah. she hasn't cre- she hasn't done it yet. Yeah. So it's almost like a propagating wave of uh, memory and knowing what you're doing. So basically in that future, she's given the information then to go back in the past. Right. And, and, and by the time she gets work- – Sorry. I was oh, going to say it doesn't work within the logic of the book. No, because in the logic of the book, she would have known if if yes. that had happened in the book, she would and have known what too, she said. Right? Yes. Yeah. Because she would have got there, however long it was, eighteen the months later. And yeah, in trying to make it easy for the audience, they've actually broken the story in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I felt that too. And I thought the first watch, I was like, uh, I think I'm just too dumb to understand what they did. You yeah. know, they must <laughs> yeah. be some things that I didn't quite grasp, but then I watched it again. And I think some of it was more rewarding and some of it just looked even more hollow on the rewatch, mm-hmm. but like the stuff with the Chinese general and stuff on the rewatch just didn't hold up at no, all. No, no, it, it will not. I, I was thinking like, is like, I, I asked myself, is this a science fiction classic? And I'm like, no, not at all. Movie oh. is not a science fiction classic at well, all. There, <sighs> there was one moment in that movie though, that I thought was total brilliance. Mm -hmm. And it was at the very, very end where he says, you want to make a baby? She says, yes. Then we get the slate arrival, which is, it's a sentence in heptapod B because in that sentence, you have the whole movie Mm. all over again. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like that, I like when the second time I saw the movie, that was my favorite second. (laughs) <laughs> i actually i even though i have like a lot of criticisms about the movie i did really like it like yeah. I, I really enjoyed it and i but a part of me also is aware that that's because our bar for like science fiction movies is quite low like it's it's just that we get so much shit you know like yeah. it this is like one of the ones that kind of branched out and it, it's legitimately a science fiction that's one of the things we like about mm-hmm. it right there's mm. It's doing some real awesome stuff. What what I was thinking about how uh, th- what they were doing is they're playing it up as a science fiction movie, right? That's why everything's mm-hmm. on this grand scale. You've got all these helicopter sequences and the and the, even the, they even fiddled with the aliens, giving them joints and stuff, right? Which is not in the story. And mm-hmm. everything that they did, I can sort of uh, see uh, why they did it to make it great, you know, a great visual treat and experience right make it a blockbuster or whatever but it defeats in a certain or goes against the grain of the original short story which is it's got some jokes in it right i don't think there's any jokes in the movie 
Uh, the, yeah, the, there's the joke about um, about kangaroo. Mm-hmm. I guess, but it falls flat after you read. <laughs> See, I read it in the book, and I'm like, yeah, oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Anyways, um, it's it's not it's not a terrible movie at all. It's just a, no, I like it. I like it a lot. Actually. I want, I've been thinking about this, and I've been searching for it while we've been talking. Uh, this article, uh, just a brief article on Boing Boing, I saw this week before I read the story. Everything I, everything's when I do these podcasts, basically everything in my life seems to point towards uh, whatever piece of fiction we're going to dis- discuss, which is really strange, <laughs> but it happens all the time. So uh, um, I sent this to a friend of mine on uh, Skype before uh, I saw the the story and and it's like yeah this is exactly right this is this is what's happening in the story so this article is, or blog post is titled cognitive scientist explains why perceiving a false reality is beneficial um and it has a picture one of those pictures that is uh you know you can see it two different ways um, mm-hmm. and in this case it's the one i i i like a lot because i can see it both ways pretty easily where some some of them i'm like Oh, okay. I see it sometimes, you know. But this one is the duck that's also a rabbit. So it's mm-hmm. got a duck bill, uh, and the bill becomes the ears, and you switch mm-hmm. back and forth, and the eye remains the same, but the angle of the duck's head changes direction, right? Or the duck rabbit's head changes direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's either going left or right, depending on how you're perceiving it, and you can't perceive it as both. So that's the only picture with the article, but I want to read the... Uh, the section here because it's very very i think this is 100 percent true uh there are many wrong ways to sense the world around you and one of them is the best way to ensure your survival amanda geffner of quanta magazine interviewed donald d hoffman a professor of cognitive science at the university of california irvine and then this is from the body of whatever thing they're stealing it from um, Hoffman has spent the past three decades studying perception, artificial intelligence, evolutionary game theory, and the brain, and his conclusion is a dramatic one. The world presented to us by our perceptions is nothing like re- our re- nothing like reality. What's more, he says, we have evolution to itself to thank for this magnificent illusion, as it maximizes evolutionary fitness by driving truth to extinction. Um, and you can just substitute substitute the word in, uh, you know, language. Or sense perception, right? For, for um, some of those things. Okay. And this, but how can we see a false reality being beneficial to an organism's survival? Hoffman, there's a metaphor that's only been available to us for the past 30 or 40 years, and it's the desktop interface. Suppose there's a blue rectangular icon on the lower right-hand corner of your computer's desktop. Does that mean that the file itself is blue or rectangular? And, lo- and lives in the lower right corner of your computer? Of course not. But those are the only things that can be asserted about anything on the desktop. It has color, position, and shape. Those are the only categories available to you. And yet none of them are true about the file itself or anything in the computer. They could, couldn't could possibly be true. That's an interesting thing. You could not form a true description of the innards of the computer if your entire view of reality was confined to the desktop. And yet the desktop is useful. That blue rectangular icon guides my behavior, and it hides a complex reality that I don't need to know. 
That's the key idea. Evolution has shaped us with perceptions that allow us to survive. They guide adaptive behaviors, but part of that involves hiding from us the stuff we don't need to know. And that's pretty much all of reality, whatever reality might be. If you had to spend all the time figuring it out, the tiger would eat you. <laughs> so, so what I took away from that is, yeah, oh, that, that's that's absolutely true. And it made me think about about why do people have babies, right? And so when the when the boyfriend slash husband says, "Want to make a baby?" and she's she's like, "My kid's gonna die." Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, well, there's two responses I think we can go for that. One is, no, she shouldn't have the baby because it's going to die. And then uh, we should also go the other direction. Yes, she should have a baby because, of course, the baby's going to die. Because all babies die because everybody yeah. dies, mm-hmm. right? And it's not about the end destination when people are thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the interesting thing about that, right, is – is um. People like I don't. I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of them are really, really fearful of death. Like it sort of guides almost all of their actions, and after a certain mm-hmm. age, right? They they're thinking about how to stay alive longer, and, and I'm like, eh, you know, uh, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, so I'm kind of unusual that way now. I used to be more fearful of death. I'm sure I would be if you threw the tiger in the room with me, right? Um, <laughs> in the in that minute, but. In general, it doesn't guide my behavior that much, I don't think. But um, I think that's because I'm always looking at that end point. I'm always there. Like I, I like thinking about death. I like reading about stories about death all the time because it, mm-hmm. it's comforting to me, <laughs> which is bizarre. But okay. Um, but I think everybody see everybody does know the future, right? They all know that that's the de- death is is inevitable. It's yep. one thing we really really know, and the people who deny it, you know, they're in they're in denial. You know, Robert J. Sawyer says, any any time now, the scientists are going to figure out how to make my body stay alive forever. <laughs> any time now, I gotta keep thinking that, rocking back and forth. You know, um, that is yeah. <laughs> if we know anything about history, if we know anything about biology, we know one thing: the death is absolutely absolutely inevitable and yet yeah still make babies yeah i was well, well, go ahead um i was just gonna say i feel like it is a little bit black and white to say it's a fear of death like some people do they do just fear death their own death but it's usually more in between where it's like what they really fear is their friend's death and their family's deaths and um outliving them like i think most people would be happy for their children to grow up and for them to die before their children do or you know to to not outlive all your friends and family and be the last one standing <laughs> like i feel like it's more that kind of fear which this movie the movie really um i thought the way it was filmed really touched on that like you can see how why parents have those kind of fears and terrors when they see their children growing up because they're so fragile and and tiny and they want them to have this full experience of life before that ultimate end destination that we're all going to get to. I think they made a very nice um, job of it in the film, that part where so we get the sense of why daddy looks at me strangely now because mommy told him something that he didn't yeah. wasn't oh, yeah. ready to hear or something. Mm-hmm. Which I was thought... really creepy of her, by the way. <laughs> um, no, um, uh, is... see... I, I think it, it's right. <laughs> well, isn't there some some quote? Now I don't know because this I heard him, in high school. Should have told them when they were making the baby, though. 
Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, but okay. There's a, there's a quote by Jean Paul Sartre, and mm-hmm. I and someone's going to tell me that it's I'm saying it wrong, but it's something about everybody lives forever mm. because you don't. Once you're dead, the moment you're dead, your forever has happened. Like you you don't know, so you live within mm-hmm. the context of your life. You did live forever because right. that was your forever. So. Um, having a baby that you're giving that baby, it's forever life. And and you have all the moments within that life with the baby. And Mm -hmm. that's, that sounds right. I mean, that's, that's why she does it right. Even in the, see, some people think, uh, the death of a child is more tragic than the death of a, you know, 99 year old person. And I, I kind of understand why they're saying that, but, um, this, this, movie does it even more than the story does in the story she's 25 when she has her accident right her quote-unquote accident um, right and with the death of uh why did why did they change the name of the aliens from uh flapper and raspberry i don't know why to, to abbott and <laughs> costello because it's a movie and that they're doing a movie reference to a 1930s uh, comedy duo that nobody remembers now i, I mean what, what, seems well, kind of silly well, I, I think it's just it's just like convention because I mean in the story they just called that, but in the movie we get a scene like what are we going to call them? I, and if you and if he had said flapper and raspberry, the audience wouldn't buy it. Mm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's, 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 it's because it's because very it's, movie. It's very movie to do what they did though. It's, right? it's very movie. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, they could have picked any pair of characters, yeah. but you couldn't just say flapper and raspberry because. They, the movie, the audience would look at Ian and like, what are you talking about? Why are you calling that? But you could do any pair. <laughs> Sam and Diane, for example, would have worked just as well. Although, although, so although there would have been genders there. And they were right. it, definitely it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. True. I mean, you could go Butch Cassidy and the Sun yet. So you could do any pair, really. Yeah. But you had to, well, but yeah. a, a thematic pair was what the, what would make sense for a moviegoer to, uh, to see so Abin Costello works as well as anything else and it, it tells us a little bit about Ian's uh tastes in classic comedy yeah like uh, really that. really what did he say really keen really neat or highly, highly neat. neat highly yeah. neat right <laughs> yeah um so, I had a weird theory yeah I have, I have a theory I have a theory it's not explicitly exp- um pointed in the movie but I have a theory about why her daughter had to exist in the context of the movie, not the story mm-hmm. in the context mm-hmm. of the movie. Because if you watch, when you watch the movie, her, all her scenes of the future until we get to general Chiang are all with her, right? Mm-hmm. The daughter. Yeah. The daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all of her with her about her that we don't, I mean, we have seven, she has 17 years of future memories at least mm-hmm. to go on, but that's what she focuses on because those are the strongest. So if she had decided not to have her daughter, it's possible that in, in the context of the movie logic that she wouldn't have been able to unlock her future, knowing the future well enough to get the information from that future scene with Daniel <laughs> Chiang to save the day. Because, no, 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 you're, you're right. You're right, Paul. You're just pointing. You're pointing at the problem of the movie, which is you. You use that word "decided," 
right? So mm-hmm. that whole point of the story is that there's no deciding. <laughs> there's stuff happening. There's <laughs> stuff you're – so one of the things they really pl- don't play up in the movie, which I think you know is kind of funny considering it is – so well, especially going back through it the second time. Oh my God, it's it's everywhere. Which is the the talking for the sake of ritual, sort of, right? So hmm. the actors performing oh, yeah. the lines. So I, I was talking with somebody this week about the story, and I was saying, you know, I've read Shakespeare. Why do I need to go see the play? I, uh, because I, you have to start. I think you have to read Shakespeare. Um, on the page to under to get, grasp it enough before you can go grasp it in the theater. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're seeing actors emoting and sort of occasionally there's a a line that sounds like it could be funny, but you don't understand why because Shakespeare's so dense, right? And and it needs to be translated into in your own mind first. Once you're into it, maybe right. But the the whole point of seeing Shakespeare performed is to see an actualization of that which you are uh experience you've experienced in a certain way i don't know there's a, that that is really played up in the story and that's absent from the film i think yeah and that's why i thought the um I, i've heard that ted chang describes the short story as um uplifting or like a positive story yeah i agree whereas i found it compl- I, I thought it was a horror like the idea it of these people living out their scripts <laughs> Yeah, just the most depressing, chilling idea and the way she didn't – there was no testing the limits. There was no trying to change anything. She was just resigned to this fate of, like, delivering lines and then even, like, thinking in her head that someone was delivering their lines well as she was living her life. Or and he, was, he, she says he's improvising, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Which oh, is, God, it was so creepy. And then the movie doesn't – you know, I can't do any of that stuff. Uh-huh. No, it can't. It, it, and it's funny because it is, you know, it's got actors and there's, uh, you know. There, yeah, it is doing it. <laughs> yeah, it is doing that. And sort of we, when we see actors acting well, we say, wow, he's really convincing. Making me think <laughs> she's sad. She's She really looks sad when she's saying how sad she is. Yeah. Um, so the, but we know that actors can just like quit and walk off set at any time. Whereas she, like in this story where she buys that bowl that she knows is going to crash onto her child's head and end up with them in the emergency room and she right. still buys it anyway because she can't help it it's like oh, in fact she gross. says i need a bowl like this yeah, <laughs> yeah. how am i gonna like hit my daughter smash. in the head with it later yeah. <laughs> my my son uh, after watching the movie he said so in the future everybody's gonna speak this language heptapod b and everybody will know everything that's gonna happen mm. and i said i don't think so because uh, m- most people will choose not to learn it because yeah. who, who? So that's the question. Like, okay, say say everything truly truly is predetermined. The Book of Ages is written, has been written, will be written. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read it? Do you want to have the ability to read it? And and yeah. I think like kind of that's what the that's partly what the book is the story is asking. If you could, would you? Well, yeah, I, if you can't I, change anything, yeah. Yeah, I wanted yeah, to I, I wanted to tell you uh, one thing just to correct you, what you were saying. It's not the spoken language, it's the written no, the, language, the written, right? The written, yeah, yeah, so no not everybody's going to read the the language well, he, and start. He said he, from his perspective was if everybody knows that they can learn it, then they will. And I said they won't. <laughs> and it's I agree the, they won't. Um hmm. for one uh, for the same reason most people won't, which is most people don't read, right? 
Well, <laughs> also, also language ability. I mean, in 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 the sto- in this story, uh, Ian gives up because he's just not so good, not good at it. I mean, it's not his thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think. But, it's, but, the, but it's, the, the the bigger question is, would you? Would you? Who? How many people would? That's true, actually, because when you think about it, all these people who go to psychics and stuff and trying to get their fortunes told and their futures told, if they actually believed it, that that was actually, that you know, that this was actually accurate and that you can't change things and it's all just going to pan out exactly like this fortune teller says, no one would go to them. <laughs> they, they only survive because people know it's bullshit, like deep down. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, also quote the story. Those who've read the Book of Ages never admit to it. Um, so I off, I didn't, this didn't happen to me when I was younger. I don't know, 10 years, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I would never, uh, do the thing that I'm going to do now, which, well, not right now, but in general, which is I just don't have conversations about certain topics with people because they're not ready for it. They're, they're, Mm -hmm. they're not in that place at all. I would, I would always like, we're going to show you, right? Like, I, you know, in the early days of the internet where, you know, there was forums and stuff and, and people were, you know. Oh, those their, good old days. Yeah, well, given, given, <laughs> in a certain sense, it was a good old days. But it was also yeah. like, uh, yelling against the wind in a certain sense. You're, uh, yeah, sure. Maybe you pointed some people in the right direction, but I'm much more likely now to point, point somebody who isn't, you know, like a, a book reader at a particular thing and just let them, work it out themselves because yeah which is better anyway like you can't tell people right. something and that's and that's a lesson from sort of getting things right i think um just you know see you don't you don't want to waste time it's kind of like that light metaphor that's in or not metaphor i guess <laughs> physics principle uh of fermat's uh most efficient system right mm-hmm. um you want to be that way too. You don't want to. The only time you want to take the long route is because it's the long route, not because uh, it was an accident. And this got this got me thinking about a thing I haven't thought about in a long time. When I was a little kid, uh, I was obsessed with computer games, as I guess I am now. But they there weren't as many computer games back then. But there were arcade games, and mm-hmm. uh, unlike some kids. And I'm sure I had more than others, but unlike some kids, I didn't have unlimited quarters. Some seem to have unlimited quarters. And putting the quarters into the machine was very expensive, and so I tried not to do it. I tried to only win as much as I could and not waste the money. But I used to take the ferry, uh, that is a uh, you know boat, across uh, the water from uh, Vancouver to uh, Sunshine Coast, which is peninsula north of vancouver and that's about a 40 minute ferry ride i used to do it fairly regularly and uh when you're riding the queen of nanaimo one of the great things about riding the queen of nanaimo is that they had an arcade sort of or a section where there's computer games you know battle zone and a bunch of other ones there was one there one machine this is sort of like my tron story right (laughs) i got sucked into the machine um Kind of, and it is really bothered me for it bothered me for years and years after. In a certain sense, like I was really, I thought it was really important, and almost nobody cared at all, and probably still nobody cares. But I'm going to tell this story anyways. So, 
there was this one machine that had like I think it was a clone of Defender, if you remember Defender. I remember Defender. Okay, so Defender is like you're a little spaceship and you're flying up and down the screen left and right and there's wave after wave of enemy spaceships coming, there's ground targets, and you start having to negotiate your way. It's a side-scroller, right, with a spaceship. Um, Now, uh, it's not the Defender itself that is that exciting. It was that when the game was doing its demo mode, Right before you put the quarter in, let's say insert coin on screen. Right, um, there was this weird phenomenon that if you got it at the right time, you could control the defender spaceship without putting a quarter in. <laughs> however, I did not know that. However, Are you sure it, it wasn't just a broken machine that you were playing with? Well, I'm going to explain a little more. However. After a certain point in the demo sequence, you no longer had control. So it doesn't say, you know, you're in control. You just could grab the control and, and move it up, the spaceship up and down and shoot the cannon, right? Uh, and yet uh, sometime during that sequence was says insert coin, insert coin, while you're seeing this spaceship flying by showing what the game looks like, you would push up or down and it wouldn't respond. So what bothered me is I never knew when that point where it took over and I took I lost control began because it, there was no way of knowing unless I had like spent many many more hours trying to figure out exactly when that sequence was because it's a it's a demo reel you know it just sort of shows the same thing over and over again right but after a certain point I'm moving up and down I, like it's responding perfectly, and then I push in a direction, and it's no longer responding. Mm. So I, I think about this all the time when I'm playing uh, modern computer games. The frustration I felt when I push up and it doesn't respond is the kind of the same frustration that happens when I'm playing Battlefield 4, and I shoot my can my shotgun with exploding tips at at some target, and it doesn't hit, right? Even though I'm in control, it doesn't hit. That's the same kind of frustration that I feel. It's almost like the when I'm in this, and this is, I'm sure everybody's experienced this for something, writing or playing basketball, whatever it is, you're in the zone, and I'm putting quotation marks around that word, right? You're in the zone where time flows differently, Mm-hmm. And you're obviously your brain chemicals are elevated, right? Because I notice when I'm in the zone, all anything that could possibly be humorous is much funnier. It's like I'm on drugs, right? Uh, all everybody's jokes are hilarious. Right? So I'm in the zone, everything's flowing smoothly, and then when something goes wrong, goes against my plan or the way I perceive the future to. Uh, and get, unfold. That's where frustration comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, this is uh, something that is why uh, Greek, the ancient Greeks are all about, you know, fate, and and Ted Chang is all about fate. Is she's going with the flow when she says to the husband or the boyfriend, "Yeah, let's make a baby." Um, and well, yeah, let's buy the ball. But I, when I play my game, 
Battlefield 4 and I am killing guys, it's great. But I still keep playing even though I know I'm not going to win them all. And I'm going to – errors are going to happen and creep in. Um, and that there's something – you know, like I know how the game begins and I know how the game ends. What happens in between, I'm going to have some plans and I feel like I'm participating – but really, in a certain sense, it's all scripted. And uh, some of these other stories, I'm not sure that they're in this um, this collection. Deal with maybe it's one of the ones in here. Deal with this more explicitly. This theme where uh, there's a machine that can tell you what you're going to do before you do it. You know, is that is that one of the stories in here? It's, I don't think it's in this collection, but I, I know the one you're talking about with the button. Yeah, it's pretty short, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be the case, right? So I don't know what to make of all of this other than it, it reminded me very much of it. And Yeah, well, it, it does give a kind of, even as you're talking, you know, it gives me a kind of even creepier sense of this poor woman, like that she's going through this world, watching her child's life and her marriage unfold as if she's playing this demo game. She doesn't know when she's having, when she's yeah. got control of the <laughs> Well, she of the knows she doesn't ever like, have control. But, yeah, but she but has the never, illusion every now and then of having it and then realizes she's just going through the motions. Like, what a horrible existence. But, but she, she, but the, she but, also says, despite knowing the journey, I embrace it. And she cherish, She says, I cherish every moment. Right. So she, yeah, which is weird. Like, well, no, uh, that's what, kind of my point is, is it's only when things don't go according to this, my script, the way I've seen it, right, the way I planned it, that the frustration comes in. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I get killed and it's part of my plan, that's fine. If I if I, you know, shoot down a helicopter and it's part of my plan, even better. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's when I foresee some action being in the plan and it fails to live up to the plan that things go wrong. It's only my lack of knowledge of what should happen that upsets me so when she talks about her daughter dying um and not you know she's telling this story to her daughter or however we're supposed to perceive it as you know she, i'm not going to get the chance to talk to you about having your own kids right mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're not ready for, you won't be ready for them and you'll be dead by then um that is not outside the plan so it doesn't make her upset in this right, sense. so she could be almost like euphoric because she's just like totally in the flow state and Absolutely. everything's happening as it That's should. Right. That's what I'm Ugh. saying, right? And the, it, there's there's a sort of logic to that, that that that's actually defeated by the film where there's that rushing sequence where she you know runs to the safe room or whatever and the guns come out and the husband's how backs her up or whatever like that is all um like. <laughs> There's there's no drama like that in the story, right? It, the drama all comes in our realization that that what Ted Chang has done with his two hours of text and I guess audio is do exactly what well simulate what heptapod B does to human brains, right? Mm-hmm. And and that makes us reflect also I think in a very nice way that you know is very Borgesian um, and uh, in a certain sense, Ted Chiang's sort of a, a science, science fiction writer's version of Borges in that the text itself. Well, I like that. It, it very, very much evokes it in here. And I guess Tower of Babel and stuff as well. But in the, the text itself here is fixed, 
right? We know that it has a beginning and we know how that has an end. There's a, I don't have my copy of the book to prove this, but <laughs> there's a page number where it starts and there's a page number where it ends and all the contents in, 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 from the beginning to the end are immutable. And yet we can continue reading it. <laughs> We well, you know what? Like you, you watch it. movies. You have movies that you watch over and over and over again. I was like rewatching uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Right. So I, I, okay. Yeah. So I, I watch Galaxy Quest a billion times, <laughs> and it, it it never like knowing the beginning, knowing the end doesn't distract from the movie. And sometimes even watching it, I I, I hope something different will happen, even though I know it can't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, you got you just reminded me of this thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is um I, I wondered if there was even a word for it because I feel like I do have a fear of predictability. Like mm-hmm. if I can predict something, like if someone says what I think they're gonna say or if a day goes exactly how I expect it to or anything like that, I feel kind of claustrophobic and like, <laughs> like I just want people to just do things unexpectedly all the time. And <laughs> like, um, yeah. And I guess I don't rewatch movies that often for that same reason, like unless I can look at it in a different way and like mm. pass different meaning and find new things in it. If I know it too well, I, I can't stand watching it again. <laughs> this is a hor- such a horror for you. This, this yeah, it is. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I want to point out about the film, which uh, is, it, it made me think about it, the the short story. Uh, it's funny because so I was thinking it's not just Borges; he's also Lovecraft because Lovecraft yeah. has the you know the tentacled monsters, the tentacled horrors. The, they're described in the short story as barrel shaped, which is mm-hmm. uh, shadow out of no, not shadow out of time. Oh no, maybe their shadow out of time is barrel shaped as well, and and at the mountains of madness, right? And they're mm-hmm. alien in the sense that they perceive things differently. In the shadow out of time, they are from a different time, and they're you know collecting <laughs> their scholars basically, right? There's a whole lot of interesting stuff going on there, but. More importantly, in the short story, or the novelette, novella, whatever it's called. Novella. Story of your life. The the narrator, the main character, has an experience and can't do anything about it. Right? The experience is, it just happens to him or her. There's no action to be taken. It's just, here's my experience. And if Lovecraft could ever wrap his head around writing about a mom <laughs> from her perspective. Um, this is uh, a way of having that happen. You know, there's no um, racial element to get in the way, but it's, it's a very, um, it's about a, a professor who uh, has a strange experience with uh, an otherworldly, you know, creature that almost has, tentacles right it's it's got that sense of of uh, unavoidability and a horror especially yeah right which Um, i thought the movie actually just while you're on that the movie did that really well for the first three quarters which is what i was saying i was really enjoying yeah it's it's, it's, slow build-up of tension was really good well it's all you know music and visual right Um, yeah and like reaction shots like close-ups until they got the the um 
the bomb and the countdown and the military guys. It was just yeah. so, so it was yeah. just quiet. The Hollywoodization, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, that ugly. whole bomb sequence, I was like, what was that one going on? Really? Do we care? <laughs> However, uh, that bomb sequence thing, what I did like about it, I didn't like the bomb sequence at all or the guys listening to the alt-right talk show guy. Oh, the Alex Jones dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Alex Jones character. Um, yeah. Um, by the way, if you guys haven't seen the latest series of Homeland, um, it's actually no. really good. Um, just Alex Jones watch sort of ideas. Interesting stuff. Anyways, um, the one thing I liked about that is we got what is Abbott or Costello, one of the aliens. Um, we got a line about how is dying or is in the death process uh, death or something. Process. Is in the mm-hmm. yeah, death right. process. And of course, if they're predicting their, if they can see the past and the present and the future and all that, um, they, they knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. They knew exactly yeah. what's going on. Uh, I don't think we needed the the spray. I thought, oh, it just like shit itself. <laughs> but yeah, but even if you know that death is coming and have seen it your entire life, there's still something different about that moment. I would think. I guess. But I, 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 I see what what I think we're we're also missing is um, their perception is not the their writing reflects their their perception of mm-hmm. reality rather than their speech. Their speech doesn't reflect their perception of reality, I, right? And, I lo- and their and flow, I lo- what they what they're seeing there is that is the article. What I was saying, like the. You know, that cognitive scientist explains why perceiving false mm-hmm. reality is beneficial. What, what we're perceiving of the, uh, the two squid beings in the, in the mist from the end of the mist, right? Is that that's not real in any sense. It's just how we perceive it. They don't really look like that. Hmm. <laughs> because they're uh, like one of the things that's mentioned in the, in the novel or the uh, novella is, there's 112 of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of these these things, and they're not spaceships; they're just be- big pieces of silica, right? Um, and then in the movie, they make a big deal about how big they are, and there's only nine, no, twelve of them, right? Twelve of them. And right. uh, so we we get a lot of that. Like, why why is there a, only twelve? Well, yeah, more they keep on asking that question, or something, right? And 112, it gives you a much more, uh, oh, this is a math problem, <laughs> right? Some sort of way of, uh, that can be decoded in, if you understand, like, in my thinking, um, there's only actually one pair of aliens, right? In all of those windows, looking glasses. Um, oh. all 112, because why would you need more than two? Two. Mm, right. right? Because if you're perceiving time in a different way, that's you know, that's fascinating. So that's fr- time fracture in a way. Yeah. yeah. Like, because they're doing the same thing with everybody all at once, which kind of works within the context of of all time, no time. Right. It would have yeah. been interesting had they got gone that way, and then in the movie they mentioned Australia said, "Oh yeah, we lost one of our aliens." Like what? <laughs> Yeah, because everyone's lost one of the aliens at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would have been cool. that would have been intriguing. Or at different times. It, 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 the thing well, is, is it's or see, there might only be one alien, right? Like what? What in what, a time loop with itself? When you when you're perceiving things differently, I mean, one of the things that they did clever in the movie is 
they answer the question that Ted Chang doesn't answer, um, which is why did the aliens come and visit, right? For the yeah, reasons of their of own. That. Sorry? Yeah, they made a point of that in the movie where not at all in the book. Right. Because we need reasons. We need, Apparently, we, do we need, need something reasons. to grasp onto. When we walk out of the movie theater, if, if we don't have reasons, um, even if it, you know, unfortunately points to a sequel, which is really not hopefully what they will ever do, mm. um, then, uh, but see, I was satisfied in a certain sense, right? And You and like that, that 2000 years thing? Oh, I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's clever. Really? I didn't like it. I thought it was distracting. I agree. It is distracting. And, but at the moment, at the moment, I was satisfied. And I think it's, <laughs> it's because, it's because of that, perce- like, uh, going back to the, the format and the light, right? Um, the reason it flows at the most efficient way through the water is because, uh, of purposes, reasons, right? Te- uh-huh. Teleological. It's, it, it wants to go to a certain place. Um, in order for that to happen, it has to know where it's going and know where it's been all at the same time. But that's not how we perceive it. And we're not satisfied with that because we, we think of cause and effect, right? The reason it goes through is at a certain angle because of blanks. And when, when we don't get a nice satisfactory answer, we're upset. But that, as it, I think it says somewhere in the text, um, the universe is a book that can't, I think it's right in the opening, isn't it? The universe is a book that can be read, uh, a couple of different ways, something like that. I don't know. I'll see if there's a quotes section. It is interesting as well that we would accept that we get no answer or reason in a story. Like, I'm totally fine with that. Whereas Mm -hmm. in a movie, like, people just, we're so conditioned that the movie has to answer its questions. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I liked it when I saw it in the movie. When I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, good. Okay, I understand. But then when I read the book and it wasn't there, then I got mad at the movie for putting it there. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I did like the idea as well where she's asking, like, are they just scientists? Are they just looking? And the idea of that was really cool to me to think that there could be a story where these things just come and just look and then just leave. Like, yeah. that's so creepy. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the um, whatchamacallit, the, um, the Strugoski brothers have, uh, the, we don't actually see the aliens, but we see basically their litter and, it's there in uh, some of their stories that basically aliens litter and people go and pick up basically litter from these alien tourists and it does oh, yeah. odd Which and story strange. Is that? Are you oh, talking about remember. a movie? No, I'll talk about a story. Um, I, know, I think I know the one you mean, but I can't remember it either. Um, uh, I'm pulling up right now. <laughs> it's. It's 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 uh Arkady and Boris Strugowski's uh stories. There's a they have a bunch of stories set in the same uh, world. Where we're ba- basic about yeah about uh basically uh leftover alien technology thrown around. And- well, I guess yeah, I guess that's how. I mean, that's probably how animals, if they ever thought about us, would see us as we're just these creatures that come along and like stare at them and then leave a bunch of shit behind and walk away. <laughs> we are kind of creepy like that. <laughs> and notice, and notice that animals are almost never interested in ha- having conversations. Like, yeah, they're just there's no a little point. Bit and, yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll sit and look into your eyes 
spend time with you, but they're not they're not into the you know like back and forth that <laughs> we're all up into. Um, and they're uh, kind of happier in a certain sense, at least some roadside picnic. Roadside picnic. Oh uh, right. yeah, roadside picnic. Um, I found the quote. It's on the wiki quote uh, for Ted Chiang. Uh, this is the one I was thinking of. The universe was a language with a perfectly ambiguous grammar. Every physical mm. event was an utterance that could be parsed in two entirely different ways. One ca- causal and the mm. other teleological. Mm-hmm. Is that the same part where she says the the rabbit dinner is is ready? Right, the right. The rabbit yeah, is ready, to, ready eat. to eat. Right. And, and that's a nice one. Um because I didn't get it, of course, <laughs> the first time. I'm like, huh? <laughs> oh, I don't get it. I'm like, oh, the, ra- the rabbit is ready. Wait, wait, the rabbit is ready? The ra- And I was like, okay, hungry rabbits <laughs> versus hungry people. <laughs> um, and the one, the, the one that I think is used a lot in science fiction that I just was going on about last night thinking about is uh, Time Flies Like an Arrow. You know this one? Mm-hmm. And I didn't get the second part at all, and I'm not sure I was supposed to, but I'm getting it now, which is um, Time Flies Like an Arrow, Fruit Flies Like a Banana. <laughs> no. And I think, ha, 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 that's so funny. And then I was thinking, wait a sec, a fruit doesn't fly. <laughs> like, so how does a fruit fly? Well, fruits don't fly, so they lay there. They stay still, just like bananas. I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Deep. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm supposed to get that, but I do. So Uh, there's another one that uh, I think Cory Doctorow used to use all the time was um, free as in software and not like free as in beer. (laughs) <laughs> so free beer right it's like yeah everybody wants to get something that's scarce right but free software is you can do anything with it it's infinitely copyable right? oh. and so you know multiple meanings right words have them mm-hmm. and grammar apparently allows for multiple meanings too <laughs> apparently right, did anybody apparently. oh go ahead no I'm done Oh, I was gonna say, did anybody notice the parallels between this movie and Contact? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, definitely. There was so many. Yeah. There was, yeah. there was a well, there was all the religious stuff, but then there was even shots. Like, there's a shot in Contact of Ellie sitting on the look of her car, on the hood of her car, looking up at the at the radio telescopes, and then we had those two, Ian and Louise, sitting on the hood of his car, mm. staring at the uh, at the artifact. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was and nice. It was. It was not, like it, it felt like a little bit like an homage, a little bit because they were they did a lot of the same stuff um, mm-hmm. with the two heroines going alone with the aliens and and coming back with a message for humanity. That um, that whole stuff. Yep. Yeah, com- complete with the religious not trying to blow up the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, and 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 the religious <laughs> not blew up the alien, and the religious not blew up the first astronaut too. They also threw in the, the speaking of religious nuts, they they had a, a cult that says, "Oh, yeah. we're gonna kill ourselves." Right? Well, this is the thing, like, and, oh, and yeah, very uh, heaven's gate things yeah. too, with all the different news people. Like, it was a lot of stuff. 
Now, yeah, I was just thinking. Story, of, I, it, it, it's also a nice metaphor for uh, our current times. I was thinking, like, when they when this movie came out, were they thinking like uh, they're, they're talking and, and the short story talking about the State Department? What the State Department's going to think? I'm like, Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> Whoever's appointed for the State Department now is like. I don't think they're going to be up to this. Yep. Well, um, everything, yeah. it, it was like a, a, a kind of a clown show because everybody, everybody's not prepared. And of course, nothing they do matters, which mm-hmm. is probably how we should look at it, right? Generally. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the original story is written before 2001 and the war on terror and all oh, that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And, and the story shows that the movie clearly was filmed before the Trump presidency and it shows that because consider how the government would have reacted if we had been president trump they would act a they would go more realistic right from the beginning i don't know if the story would be able i don't know if you filmed it you could film it now because it's like okay so the americans would be as crazy as the chinese and the aliens go away the end Maybe she whispers yeah. in Trump's ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow Trump makes it more realistic because when I was watching it, like the way everyone just has a big tantrum and shuts down communications, like doesn't mm. even say, oh, we're going to shut down communications or talk to each other. Like I was like, that, who would do that? We're going to have a big tantrum and just like, yeah. you know, all just cut off. Like they were worried about having unrest between the different countries and then they just did something so rude. But now that we have Trump, it's like, way more believable i'm like oh yeah that totally makes sense someone would do that just stop talking to them <laughs> yeah bigly <laughs> oh well i think Bye. the story works pretty well i'm 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 sure that the story will last a long time i'm not so sure about the film but i did enjoy it so it, i, I it really did yeah yeah, yeah too. I, I think even if they hollow hollywood hollywood Hollywoodized it. I think the movie's visuals, its score, its cinematography hold That's up. Good. I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the movie does a really good job showing the alien language and how yeah, it yeah. actually could work. And we've got the um, the same director and the same composer for the score doing Blade Runner right We're now. We're so the new Blade excited Runner, so. about that. that. That is very exciting. Yeah. Maybe in the future, people. don't be so excited. Jesse. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I, listen to what I said. I didn't say it's not going to be good. I said, I've seen the future. Don't be so excited. Yeah. Which which <laughs> can be read as um, moderate your expectations. Therefore, you'll be happier when it comes well, out. Enjoy it. Good, yeah. right? Right. Or, or it can it's be so read I, as don't bother worrying about it because it's not going to be great. I, I did dream about Heptapod unlocking future memories last night so they did wow. i did i was wow. i was i i was on this i was on this like battleship or something talking with somebody about like oh yeah i, I saw that like in a couple of months from now there's going to be a fight and it's like how do you know that because i studied the language mm. and they're just like staring at me like i had three heads like but yeah it was a very and i could see it it was almost like it was like i could see snatches of the of the future, kind of like Louise does in the in the film, is like very disorienting. This wow, movie, that's creepy. I it was. I mean, I guess re listening to this story and rewatching the movie really affected me strongly. Rewired your brain. Yeah, it, yes. it, it rewired my brain. Exactly. It is. Oh. 
yeah, they are both really affecting stories. I think like they definitely make you think a lot and I like them both the movie and the story for that reason. The, yeah. the, the one thing we haven't mentioned, the Sapir Wharf hy- hypothesis, you know, this thing that people like yeah. to talk about, especially, uh, on, yeah. especially on TED Talks. <laughs> it's their favorite thing. Oh, the Sapir. So I was looking at it on Wikipedia. I'm just going to look it up now because I, uh, I, I, I only remember looking it up. I don't remember <laughs> what it exactly said. But it there was a line in there that says, well, there's it's no, really no such thing uh, because... Worf and Sapir didn't collaborate on anything. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I heard a few interviews with um, linguists and stuff saying that it was completely debunked. Yeah, and... it sounds like a TED talk talking point. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and about as about as realistic. But um, that's not to say there isn't a thing that goes under the Sapir Worf hypothesis uh, when it redirects due to linguistic relativity, um, and there are people who did sort of study this uh, and come up with some really um, interesting things to think about. But uh, the other thing that I think is kind of missing from this, well, maybe it's not missing from this article, is missing from the perception of it, is that stories are what come out of language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you think about the stories that resonate, and that's something that's in the short story uh, or the novella that I think is really um, powerful um, and something that really flows is when she's reading uh, uh, Goldilocks to her daughter, and mm-hmm. the daughter says, that's not how it goes, <laughs> right? Well, because there's uh, Brussels sprouts <laughs> in the yeah. bowl and the bear doesn't like or the girl doesn't like Brussels sprouts. Um, she says, you're not telling it right. Um, and of course the girl can't read, right? So how does she know she's not telling it right? Because she's heard it before. And the one cool thing about the Goldilocks story, and I I teach it to my students all the time as a writing technique, um, why I I teach them one of the things I learned in a book a long time ago is, uh, threefold magic, right? When you're writing, use three. Why? Because three is magic. That's all you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and uh, and they say uh yeah, well i'm me i'm really skeptical of my own claim so i i lay it out for them i say okay i'm gonna tell you a story you tell me when you know what story it is and it's this little girl she right and she goes through all these steps of three right the three stools the three bowls the three beds right and there's always the same reaction but always a different reaction right there's always the same reaction but always a different reaction slightly different especially at the end and then you have the what's so cool about the story of the three bears is the three bears come back. And in the best retellings of the story, they repeat exactly the same sequence and have the exact same reaction every time. But then the final reaction is different. Right. So first mm-hmm. step is the three the three chairs. One's too high. One's too low. One's just right. The three bowls. One's too hot. One's too cold. One's just right. And then the three beds, one's too hard, one's too soft, one's just right. Then the three bears come back and, oh, somebody's been sitting in my chair, right? Somebody's been sitting in my chair. Somebody's been sitting in my chair and knocked it over. <laughs> right? And then so you get that same sequence again. And then three bowls, somebody's been eating my porridge. Somebody's been eating my porridge. Somebody's been eating my porridge <laughs> and they eat it all up. Right? And then they go upstairs and then, 
Ah, uh, somebody's been sleeping in my bed. Somebody's been sleeping in my bed. Somebody's been speaking has been sleeping in my bed, and there she is. Right? <laughs> she's still sleeping in the bed. And then Goliath right? becomes bear food. And no, she jumps out the window and goes home and has breakfast or whatever her mom told her not to leave the yard for. The important part of that story is that the 333 repeats and everybody loves it and everybody can retell the story. Where the story goes wrong is when they lose track of how many and what. Or like they put things in the wrong order. But being able to retell that story makes it a sequence that we, we need. And this is actually how the great, you know, uh, oral, um, poems like Homer's stories are designed, right? Every chapter begins with rosy fingered dawn, right? These yep. repeating mm-hmm. images that come again and again. They're like, um, memory cues that allow you to control the plot and not lose track of where you are and, and sort of like their hmms and haws in between to allow you to get your place and get back into the groove and go perfectly. I don't play music, but I assume there's something like that in music as well. Yeah, the epithets that they give all the different characters are right. like, oh yeah, the, oh yeah, this is Achilles, and that's what he does, and so this is who I am in the story. Yeah, yep. because the, the memorizing these thousands and thousands of lines, you need you need help in order to. Uh, yeah, and those are the tools. <laughs> they're the tricks, yeah. and they, and they 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 evolve naturally out of us rather than are placed in as markers right they yeah evolve naturally out of that and that that is absolutely there there is a it's it's like uh, misa enjoying uh galaxy quest <laughs> again and again right <laughs> yeah. um speaking of which did you guys see there's a, a trailer for a new show that's kind of like galaxy quest yeah with uh the south with um yes yeah, uh, family yeah McFarlane, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I thought it looked like it was supposed to be a movie. I'm not sure it could hold up as a show, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a sustainable concept over. <laughs> it's just a Star Trek: The Next Generation as a joke, right? Except it's a continuing it joke. Like, I don't know. Is that going to work? Um, I, 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 well, for me personally, that sort of concept doesn't last too long. I, I will not name the author because I'm not going to piss on the author, but. Some months ago, there was a author whose other work I like a lot. He came out with a basically a parody of of the Star Trek, and and and, and the publisher sent me a review copy, and I read it, and I hated it. It's like, oh my god, again and again, like this is getting tedious and tiresome. And ironically, the publisher wanted to send me the sequel, and I said, um, no thanks. I didn't even review it because if I had reviewed the first one, it'd been a hate fest. So, <laughs> and, 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 and yes, yeah, so it's just me. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to piss on an author's work, which is why I'm not even mentioning the author's name. But yeah, I think that's sort of for me personally. That's sort of parody. I mean, for Galaxy Quest, I mean, I, I watched Galaxy Quest, maybe not. Not as much as you, but <laughs> but I I I I've, I've watched it multiple times, and that's fine. It's a nice to our movie. Gets the parody right. That's fine. Do I want to watch a whole series? No. Sorry. Hmm. I, um, but that's for me. I saw uh, – I read a review of a book I tried to read. I got the uh, – I had so much good luck with the that Lovecraft um, biography. I'm like, damn, I, I'm going to read some 
some other stuff that isn't by Lovecraft that's sort of Lovecrafty, right? <laughs> and oh. I, I found this book. Oh, I am Providence by Nick Nam- Mamatak. Oh, like, oh, um, that's not the one you should have read. No. <laughs> <laughs> I started reading and I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna like this. I'm like three, no. three words in. Uh, I have a feeling I'm not gonna like this. I do like the the sort of subgenre that it's in. I've read a few books um, that are in this subgenre. One of them, one of them is. Uh, Murder at the ABA by Isaac Asimov, which has a oh. bunch of science fiction people who uh, have, you know, a slight gloss of them so that, you know, one of them's Harlan Ellison or whatever. And there's a couple others like that, that, you know, they're science fiction or mysteries set at, at mystery conventions or science fiction conventions, right? It's cute. It's sort of what authors do. They write about what they know, which is going to writing conventions or book <laughs> book vlogging conventions and then they satirize sort of the things that go on there i started reading this one and i'm like this is horrible mm. um so i'm not a big fan of nick's writing no offense to nick i i mean he he he's 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 a rockateur he's a provocateur he's 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 a guy in science fiction lots of people like him i don't care for his stuff myself that's not the Neo Lovecraft, you should have read Jesse. I've given you recommendations. I know, uh, and you should you should read one of those and said, especially Winter Winter's Tide, which is I think maybe the best of that set I've read so far. But um, one of them is going to be uh, developed into I think it, uh, into a has uh, been optioned for a sh- for a show, and that's Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Yeah, I, I've, I've so. seen that one around as well. I, I, I just sort of went on impulse with this one because of the title, I, but I know. But I'm I, sorry. I was reading, I was reading some of the Goodreads and they, they satisfied my need to, uh, hate on the book. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> oh, cause, Goodreads is good for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause, um, somebody just gets really angry and said, you know, like uh, the, I, I didn't get very deep into it, but the main character is just, it's it's this kind of thing that I see in real life that I never want to see ever reflected in fiction or anywhere, which is, here's my position. I'm better than you. <laughs> this is why mm-hmm. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm only here at this uh, convention because uh, I have something that I need to flog, and, and, and therefore I'm better than you. Whereas mm-hmm. you, you, you with your Lovecraftian tentacle shirt, like, Sure, I don't wear a Lovecraftian tentacle shirt, but I also don't lord it over anybody who wants to wear one. Yeah. That uh, and then and then having that be the main character, like I'm I'm not doing this book. Auto delete. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, real fast. <laughs> Winter's Tide, Jesse. You want to but read Winter's Tide? The reason I I only brought this up is because this is the opposite of Ted Chiang. I honestly swear to you. That he doesn't, he's like, there's some sort of ethos, ethical system. There's no selling out. There's no making a mistake. There's mm-hmm. no like, well, I'm going to just go with it and see how it goes. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's all about, no, I don't write stories because I, I want to be respected at conventions. I write stories because I think about these issues and I happen to write stories. Yeah, and he and has something to say about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they're crafted. Um, not, you know, uh, uh, there was a line in the, his Wikipedia entry about how he, he rejected a nomination for something for one of the stories, uh, because 
it was rushed and he was pushed into it. <sighs> yeah, and and that that ethical line between see all awards are wrong in a, in a grand scheme. If you are angling for awards, I saw a lot of people talking about Parsec awards and Nebula awards. Even even uh, our friend uh, on the podcast here was talking about the people getting nominated or winning or whatever. And I'm like, no, these are wrong. These are wrong. And the reason these are wrong is because because if you're aiming in that direction, it's wrong. Now, if you if you're like Ted Chiang, and you happen to be pushed into that because you're genuinely awesome. Right. Nobody. Yeah, he's wants just him. like moving through the universe and just like collecting exactly. awards by accident. Like. It, exactly. <laughs> and it's not like there. It's not like uh, I'm going to make this Hollywood movie that's going to social justice and blah. like. I don't, did you guys see? Um, I really, really wanted to. I I was looking forward to it so much. Uh, it's the one uh, with the black women who are computers for NASA. What's it called? Yeah. Hidden, hidden figures. Hidden figures. Hidden figures. I was like out of the movie, like about two minutes into it, because what do they do? They say science, me- me- mechanical systems, don't care about them. They're on the side of the highway. They're on the side of the highway with a broken down car, and the starter won't start. The starter's broken. There's a lady under the car trying to fix it. Cops come up. We we can see how it. Ha- you know, all, we know what's going to happen. The problem, and then there's the nice sequence how they they get an escort all the way to work, right at the end of that. But where I was out was, wait a second, how come their car is stopped on the side of the road with the starter broken unless they stop there? <laughs> well, okay, so the well maybe they were you know enjoying the scenery and you know having lunch or whatever breakfast whatever. Um, and then the cop says, should I call a tow truck? And the lady gets out, I don't know, a claw hammer or something, and says, no, I'll just bypass the starter. And then a big puff of smoke comes out of the front of the car engine. She puts down the hood, the car starts up, and they drive away. I'm like, bypass the starter? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and the only reason that's there, the only reason that that scene is in the movies, not because it happened in real life, it's because they needed a sequence where we get the unexpected uh, power of being, you know, uh, somebody important and transcending race. And But they're supposed to be fucking women, smart women engineers, and they've given them an impossible thing. That, like, if you could bypass starters, you wouldn't have starters in cars. So the whole movie was ruined yeah. for me. Yeah. And there was oh. a whole bunch of other things like that in it. I kept going with it. And I'm like, why is this movie so highly lauded? Because it can win awards, I guess. It's not mm-hmm. because it was good. It, 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 I mean, there was individual good things in it, but the fact that nobody knows what IBM is in the movie, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what the world are we living in here? <laughs> uh, they had IBM machines in there before they got the, the specific computer they're talking about. Everybody knew IBM back then if they work in, in math. Oh, now yeah. you've ruined it, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I was it's happy not before. me. <laughs> I've had starters go on my car. I've, I've not been able to start my car except by pushing it down a hill. If they were at the top of the hill, okay, or they just push it up, you know, over the ridge. That would make sense. But seriously, like, the only reason that exists is because it's a showcase for a bunch of black actresses, and it's an interesting story, and they ruined it. And I was cool with it, other than the fact that they ruined it. <laughs> 
And so it's because they're sort of they're they needed that sequence, right? They needed that, and I wanted that sequence to work, but they just it's it's so weird to have a movie supposedly about science and engineering and and the and the women who contribute the black women who contributed to it which is awesome right and then they ruin the whole point of what they're doing and sort of just focus on the wrong things well maybe not the wrong things but just focus on something to the exclusion of its good of of what makes it actually interesting mm. Nobody else had that reaction to Hidden Figures? I haven't no, seen it, so... No, <laughs> no. Attention to those I'm not that... Yeah, I'm not that big mechanically inclined. I think I, I, I think Never, it was never had your starter go on your car? No. I I, I, I was thinking, of like, the, the equivalent, basically, like, jumping the... You know, like, uh, getting past, you know, not being able to use the key and whatnot, like, getting into the column and whatnot, so... I, I, I think it was just described badly. It, it, it is meant to be an establishing character moment mm-hmm. that the audience, that, that the audience, the general audience can accept like, okay, they're, they're competent because they could do, do this rather than digging into the details of the, of uh, how, how it was actually framed. It's like, no, you can't do that to a car, but like, but they're, they're so smart. They can do magic. Well, and, and <laughs> no, but, but you know, I don't think it was meant to be magic. It was meant to be. No, I know. I'm ungainly. You're right. It, it is for the awards. It's for trailer moments. Like, cause that yeah. was a trailer, that movie. And then the other one where Kevin Costner smashes the, uh, the bathroom sign. You right, can use right. whatever bathroom you want. So all of those are, are just meant specifically only to, to tear at your heartstrings and go rah, rah, rah. Uh, but I, I, I want to be manipulated, but I don't want to be manipulated in a way that breaks the, the manipulation, right? So there, there, was right. A, there was a show, a terrible show a few years ago. And one of the reasons I'm saying it's a terrible show is because of things that they did. It was about... Um, one of those inventor guys. Who's the guy who invented the helicopter that's a screw that goes up? You know, the one Da Vinci? I mean, da Vinci. Ah, okay. It was uh, Da Vinci's Angels or Demons or something. Right? Uh. So I watched the first episode. I'm like, okay, this is set in the period of Da Vinci. Right. Got it. And he's walking through the marketplace. I'm like, wait a second. There's a fucking macaw there. <laughs> well, uh, 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 an Amazonian parrot. This is Italy. <laughs> Right. This is at the time of Da Vinci. Nobody's been to South America yet. What the fuck? <laughs> Just ruined. Completely ruined. And you know why this happened? Because nobody on sets, when they brought in the colorful birds to make the the the, the set prettier, nobody said, "Well, Amazonian parrots are not available yet. We could use African greys. I know they're not as colorful, but it it'll be accurate." And somebody probably said, "I don't care. It's prettier." And, yeah, which is that yeah. whole thing, like, um, there's perfectionists, and then there's people who just don't care, and, like, that's why Ted Chiang stuff, like, you can tell he's exactly. a perfectionist, like, he's mm-hmm. so yeah. detail-oriented, like, yeah. I love Going that. Going back through the beginning of the book, every word is carefully placed, and I don't think of him as having a style. I was thinking, like, three-quarters of the book way through, I'm thinking, he, you know, he, he's clear, that's what I like about him, he's clear. But I wish you I think he's lost it. And then I'm like going back to the beginning. I'm like, no, every word there is in carefully placed. Every turn of phrase is leading to the point that he's trying to make for us mm-hmm. to understand. And we think of it just as a flow of regular text. 
but actually it's it's a it's him doing Borges. And notice Borges isn't this long, right? So this is actually a much finer point. Uh, he's he's making very Borges isn't about science. He's about uh, dreams, sort of. He's about uh, mythology. And Ted Chang is saying, here's a really interesting fact about uh, brain knowledge about brains and how they work and and mind. And I can't get past it, but here's an idea. And I'm going to work it out so well that you feel it just the same way. There's a story called Exhalation, which is not in this collection, uh, where he explores one one of the lines that's in here. Uh, he says, uh, one of the characters says, you can't use a mind, uh, you can't use a, uh, uh, your mind to look at your own mind, right? Something like that. And of course, in exhalation, he's got a robot who uses a mirror to do, uh, experimental surgery on its own head to look and see what's going on. It's like that scene in, in the electric ant where he lifts his shirt up and he sees, you know, the reel of tape going by with the punch mm-hmm. holes, and he starts covering the punch holes, and his reality starts changing, and he starts punching his new holes, and he sees a flock of swans fly through the, migrate through the room, right? <laughs> or, yeah. Canadian geese, or whatever. It's, it, this is, um, this is a master at work. Mm. So, so we've tied Borges, Philip K. Dick, and Ted Chiang in. Don't forget Lovecraft. Pa- and Lovecraft in one podcast. That kind of, that's kind of like it's every. Just every need to button. figure out how to get mm. more Philip K. Dick in there, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's really he's 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 a wonder. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. All right, so uh, let's see arrival. Um, and everybody watched the one with Charlie Sheen, right? The one with Charlie what? Sheen? The movie Arrival <laughs> no. with Charlie Sheen. It's no. terrific. No. The aliens come to Earth, and Charlie Sheen uh, talks about tiger <laughs> blood, and everything makes sense. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, Jess, you dreamed that one. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, it really exists. It's really? such a movie. Yes, yeah. it's, it's actually really good. It's, wow. it's hard to uh, Surprising What's it called? Say. It's called The Arrival. Ah. Um, and uh, it's about Tar- Charlie Sheen is a uh, cable guy uh, who finds out that aliens are uh, visiting the Earth. And he hijacks a whole bunch of people's satellite dishes, you know, uh, for receiving TV signals to communicate with the aliens. Hmm. I'm, I'm sort of going by memory here. Let me see. Zane, an astronomer, discovers intelligent alien life, but the aliens are keeping a deadly secret and will do anything to stop Zane from learning it. Um, <laughs> the director is David Twohey, who uh, did Pitch Black, The Fugitive, uh, and Riddick. Wow. But, uh, oh, and uh, the screenplay for Imp- Imposter, which is both good and bad. Yeah. How old is this movie? Nineteen ninety-seven, six, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, it is worth watching, uh, although it's very nineties. Now that I think about it. <laughs>